Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for October 23rd, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Home Free. You've heard today's sermon already at least three times. I hope you've heard it already. I've always tried to stay away from sports metaphors in sermonizing. My friend, Dr. Amy Butler of the Riverside Church in the city of New York, who is also not a sports metaphor preacher, did ask our Preacher Camp Facebook group yesterday morning, though, to help her find a sports illustration for her sermon. She's preaching this morning in New York. Um, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And she needed a good sports illustration. And in just a few minutes, with the miracle of Facebook from Richmond, Virginia, she was told the story, shared the story of the women's marathon, the conclusion of the women's marathon in this summer's Olympics. It appeared magically an offering from our colleague in Richmond. It was a perfect story, sports story, for I have finished the race. I asked them this morning at 6.30 when I started for a whole sermon, and I'm still waiting on mine, help from them. (laughs) Anyway, when I chose the title for today's sermon, I was thinking of the usage of that phrase, home free, as it refers to those times in our lives when we've done the work and we have it made when all that's left is coasting to the finish line, to borrow a sports metaphor. I was thinking of those times when we have escaped some anxious fate, when we see that we have evaded being sacked deep in our own territory, down one touchdown with the two-minute warning approaching, to use another sports metaphor. I was thinking of home free, as even the athletically challenged might use that phrase, In fact, I was unaware that there was any sports association with this phrase, home free. But as it turns out, this is an archaic baseball expression. Wow, maybe I hit a home run, I don't know. If the bases were loaded and the batter hit a single, the old radio commentator tapping his little wooden gavel in front of the microphone you know, for the enjoyment of the listening crowd at home, he might have said, the mighty Casey comes through again with a single into right, and Shoeless Joe is home free from third. I've never heard that expression in that way before, home free. I don't know a lesson that we need any more today than the lesson we can learn from the parable that Amy just read for you. Arrogance abounds in our country today. In fact, the arrogance is a large part of the division that we feel. Self-righteousness is ubiquitous, which just means it's everywhere. It's on every street corner. It fills Twitter feeds and Facebook posts. It is the source and substance of campaign speeches. Everyone has an opinion, which is fine. And being able to express opinions through social media could be such a wonderful means of deepening the conversation 
of giving layered depth and perspective to the issues, but most people seem unable just to offer constructive words of their own. Instead, the name of the game is bashing those who stand on the wrong side of every issue. You know, there's my way and there's the wrong way, and there the twain shall meet. The word human should remind us that we are related to the humus that Amy was just telling the children about. You know, humus is the organic part of the soil. We are literally living dirt. Congratulations. You are living dirt. And we're not just related to that word, humans and humus, etymologically. We are related sociologically and anthropologically and theologically. We are connected to the soil. And knowing this should make human beings intrinsically humble. Another word that comes from the same root, humble, humans. Humility brings us down to earth and where else can we live? And how else can we relate to one another and to God? There is a frightening, angry spirit in our nation today. My pastor friend in this preacher camp group from Richmond is going to preach about this next week. And this week on Facebook, he was asking for some advice. How do we speak to people in our congregations who are tossed about by this election campaign, by the anger they hear. What is the pastoral word we need to offer? Maybe I'll have some words for you in the future from what I hear on Facebook. There's an angry, frightening divide today, but I think you can help change that. Not I think, I know you can change that. Be humble. Weigh in on important issues. Humble doesn't mean not to speak. You need to weigh in on important issues about our city, about our nation, about the upcoming election, but you can do so with the certainty that you may be wrong. The fact is, you are not right, whatever your position. Life is just too complicated for any one opinion to contain absolute truth. But your experience expressed in humble conviction is part of the story. You're not right, and they're not wrong. And they're not wrong, and you're not right. But in the mystery of God's providence, our diverse experiences and our passionate convictions are woven together in an ever-unfolding tapestry of truth. Do you hear? Your opinion and their opinion are part of the truth God is trying to bring. We just need to learn to put it together and not yell at each other. Yesterday, on the way to the every Saturday marching band competition that fills our good lives each good fall, I had four pit crew colleagues in my truck. 
And as we were hauling our props to the show, one of these new friends in the back seat said he had been in Vegas this past week, which of course turned our conversation to the last presidential debate. Oh, that debacle was embarrassing, was marked by the greatest lack of respect I ever remember seeing and hearing in politics. Humility? They couldn't even spell the word. But in my truck, there was civility and the productive conversation that always ensues when people care about one another as much as they care about the issues. And what are the issues if we don't care about one another? From the back seat, the other side of the back seat, a new friend volunteered in the middle of that conversation. Well, I vote Democratic, but you know, this election has me concerned. I was just struck by his humble conviction and the tone. You know, you're not supposed to talk about, publics in politi- uh, about politics in public. But if you could say, I'm a Democrat, like he did, or I'm a Christian, and you could say it without condemning everyone to hell just by association, if everyone could be so non-judgmental, so passionately humble, in their approach. Being Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians, whatever they are, and conservatives and liberals, being Christians and Muslims and Jews would not divide us. Our humble diversity would raise us out of the mud-slinging dirt and lift us to new heights as individuals and as a nation. That ought to be our prayer. In the next two weeks. In today's text, we learn the lesson of humility through this comparison of the attitudes of two prayers. Now, I continue to say that while prayer is at the heart of every religion, that almost all people in almost all times have prayed. It is a discipline that confuses so many, even those who are committed to the practice of prayer. You talk to them about what it is, and you get lots of uncomfortable questions. For most people, prayer is little more than asking. To pray is to put human needs before the divine giver and hope that we are faithful enough And God is in a good enough mood that God will give us what we ask for. And if you're looking for a proof text in Scripture to back up that kind of understanding of praying, well, you will find it. Like all other preconceived biases, if you go into the text in search of a defense, you will be able to claim God's Word on your side. You know what I mean? If you know what you want the Bible to say when you go to it, you'll find something that that backs up your own prejudice. I promise you. But if you really want to hear God in Scripture, we must listen to the whole text, even as its words are in dialogue internally with with each other. While we have to let the Bible's, uh, we will have to let the Bible's varying theologies varying theologies and competing ideas and tensions of thought meet our own. And in that dialogue, 
God will speak. So regarding prayer, we can hear Jesus say, if in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. And plenty of preachers have preached that called the prosperity gospel, and it's popular in, in pulpits around the country. But we ought to think very seriously about what asking for anything means. And before we go asking for a new Cadillac, we ought to wonder carefully how that kind of asking relates to Jesus' words when he tells the disciples the goal of prayer is God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we ought to realize that in that prayer, which is to be the model for all praying, there is not a single ask for anything for me. You prayed it today at the beginning of our worship service, and there's not one singular petition in that prayer. God's kingdom is to be our desire, not my own kingdom. And we are taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Not give me. Give us enough for today alone. Think about that for just a moment. Give us just what we need for today. Not bank accounts and future investments. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us. True prayer leads more to care, leads me to care about the guidance of community, always the community, us, not my personal deliverance. Scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing which means prayer cannot be limited to words because no one can speak prayers 24 hours a day. Prayer is an attitude. And Scripture reminds us that the deepest prayers cannot be spoken at all. Maybe they cannot even be conceptualized in our minds. The truest, deepest prayers are just the groanings of our spirits. They are the greatest joys and the deepest sorrows that come out of us, sometimes in shouts or wails, and sometimes just in the quiet torment of our souls, screaming against the realities of a hard world. Prayer as groaning of the Spirit. I think the prayer which Jesus commends through the parable Amy read to you today is just that kind of prayer. It is soul-deep honesty. Now, many people mock the idea of confession. Some people in this congregation have challenged this idea and our use of a time of confession in worship every Sunday. As it was put most derisively once to me, someone said he found it a waste of his time to sit in silence confessing his sins to some great cartoon in the sky hoping for absolution. Wow. All I can say is that if that's your idea of either confession or God, we have failed in our teaching and preaching. Whether you think of God as some great cosmic judge, and I hope you do not, 
Or whether you conceive of God as the great theologian Paul Tillich conceived of God as our ultimate concern, however you conceive of the divine, I cannot imagine how looking honestly into the heart of our souls and raising the awareness of what we have just seen, how raising that awareness to the God you conceive, I just cannot imagine how that practice could be anything but beneficial. Even the 21st century thinking Christian. Confession will reveal the many ways we have lived up to our calling. But honest confession will also make clear the ways we have failed. We need to be just human. But too often, we who are made of the earth get bogged down in the mire of a sinful muck. Let's just be honest about that. This prayer Jesus commands is just that. It's just honest humility. The man simply says, forgive me. His prayer did not make him rich. He won no election, gained no earthly power. He was not miraculously healed, and he did not impress anyone with his righteousness. He gained none of that, but Jesus says he alone went home justified. The word justified is from the lexicon of legal jargon. If you stand before a judge and are acquitted of all charges before you, you are justified. You are free to go. And that is the power of prayer and humility. Home free, indeed. May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.